This is The Mudroom, uncommon sense parenting classes with your parenting coach, Alana Robinson. Weekly nuggets of developmentally appropriate parenting wisdom to help you parent your toddlers, preschoolers, and kindergartners more effectively with less effort. The Mudroom is recorded live on Facebook every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Now, here's Alana. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Mudroom, our weekly uncommon sense parenting class. How is everyone doing today? It's June. We're officially on the countdown to summer holidays here in North America. June is just an incredibly busy month in my family because it has my mom and dad's birthdays, my youngest Owen's birthday, and my wedding anniversary, and all have been married for 11 years, which is kind of wild. <laughs> Combined with the end of the school year, it gets just a little bit nuts around here. But luckily, the rest of our summer is pretty tame. I know some of y'all already have kids out on break. Some of you aren't taking a break because either your school year is set up differently than ours is or your kids are in daycare year round. But I also know several of you are making some final decisions about September and which daycare or preschool your child will attend. So although we're winding down the school year, I wanted to go over some tips for what I consider to be important factors when choosing a care situation and the factors that I recommend my clients look out for too. Before we get into it though, allow me to introduce myself. If you're new around here, hi, my name is Alana Robinson and I'm a parenting coach for parents of toddlers, preschoolers, and kindergartners. I help you understand why your children are misbehaving and how to fix it without yelling, shaming, or timeouts. I'm your host here on The Mudroom. I'm also the host of the Parenting Posse Facebook group and I'm the creator of the Parentability Program where I help you raise well-behaved kids of your own. If you're watching, say hi and don't forget to like and subscribe so that you never miss another class. Okay. So obviously everyone has different priorities for daycares and preschools, but most parents I've spoken to, their priorities are all logistical or towards features. Like they'd like a daycare that's on the way to work, or they really want a preschool that has webcams so they can check in on their kid during the day, or they want a center that has a big outdoor play space. But when it comes to recognizing the factors that have a big impact on their child's learning experience and the hallmarks of a well-run daycare or preschool, or even private kindergarten versus the red flags of a poorly run one, most have no idea what they're looking for. I've been an early childhood educator for over 10 years now, and I've been an early interventionist for over 15, so I have quite a bit of experience with every stripe of care situation that you can imagine. I've also spent the last six years of my career working with parents from all over the world, and it always breaks my heart when a client obviously put a lot of thought into choosing a daycare or preschool, only to actually get into the program and realize that they completely overlooked some important factors, and then they're stuck scrambling to find a more suitable situation. So today I'm going to share with you the factors that I look for in a preschool, what I advise my clients to look for in a preschool, and why. The very first thing I do when I start looking into any care situation for a child is to ask every institution I'm considering for a guidance policy in writing. I don't care if it's a PDF they email over or whether I have to go pick up a three-inch binder. I want the policy they've drafted that lays out how my child's behavior will be handled. It's a very telling document and not just the contents of it is telling. You would be floored by how many daycares and preschools I've asked for this document that don't have one. They can often talk a good game about how they handle misbehavior and even give some examples of scenarios. But the problem with not having a written guidance policy is that you can't be sure that everyone who comes in contact with your child will be following the same premise 
or is trained on how to properly handle challenging situations. Because if there's no documentation, how can you train someone on it? It also leaves everything that they say open to interpretation. And if there's ever a conflict between you and the teacher, you have nothing to refer to to explain why your trust was violated or why you feel they handled the situation incorrectly. It's your word against theirs. So right off the bat, if they don't have a written guidance policy, that's a huge red flag, run. Once you do have it, you want to read it thoroughly. This document details how your child will be handled at their most vulnerable. How do they handle aggression? How do they handle conflicts between peers? How do they handle dysregulation? Are out-of-date practices like timeouts, spanking, or restraint and seclusion used? And before you roll your eyes, physical punishment is still entirely legal in most American states. I've had two clients in the last two years who were horrified to discover that their toddlers had been spanked, one with an open hand and the other with a paddle. And for pretty minor behavior incidents, and once they actually read the guidance policy, it was actually clearly stated that the teachers had the option to use physical punishment at their discretion. So read the document, note anything that's unclear and ask for clarification. And of course, if there's anything that makes you uncomfortable, run. Child-centered, collaboration, restorative justice, natural and logical consequences, self-regulation, mediation, these are all buzzwords that are usually green flags. The second thing you want to look for is a play-centered curriculum. Play-based is a term that you'll hear thrown around a lot, but all that play-based really has come to mean is that it's still an adult-led program where academics are taught under the guise of playful activities. Play-centered means that play is at the root of everything. It's what the entire day is centered around. Another good sign is the use of emergent curriculum which really means that the curriculum is built off the interests of the children in the room and the early academics are embedded within that interest. So like I worked in a preschool that was down the street from a fire station and it was a very active station and the kids all very quickly became obsessed with all things firefighter. Instead of trying to interest the kids in other topics, the educators leaned into it and they set up a play fire station. They went for a visit to the fire station. They read books about firefighters. While visiting the fire station, they asked questions of the firefighters, like, what do you eat? And that became what the kids ate at snack time. They researched how fires were put out and they actually were building fires with the kids and testing out fire extinguishers. Like, does sand put a fire out? Does dirt put a fire out? Does water put a fire out? They counted pieces of equipment. They talked about how different places use different colors for fire trucks and uniforms. All the aspects of a preschool were embedded within that natural interest that was present in the real lives of the children. And they used that to deliver that information and make it relevant to the kids. Another example was a daycare I was in that had a new menu designed with a dietitian. And because of that, they swapped out the vanilla yogurt the kids were eating for plain yogurt. And the kids were pissed. So they did an entire exploration of yogurt and sugar and how different cultures ate yogurt and with what, and they went to visit a dairy farm and a dairy processing plant. Based off of their explorations, they brainstormed healthy things they could mix in with the plain yogurt to make it taste better. They tested and took polls of which brand of plain yogurt the kids liked best, 
And then they repeated that process with all the different mixins they'd come up with. It was all emerging from an interest in their real lives, and it was all centered around playing. This is how children learn. Anywhere that is still having themed months that have nothing to do with the children's expressed interests or that have restrictive play centers where the children have to really separate themselves so like only two kids are allowed playing in the house center or that they have a really packed schedule run all these things indicate that they haven't updated their program since the 80s and it turns out that that's actually 35 years ago to that same end you want to look at the amount of time the children will be outside the accepted amount of time children should be outside every day is eight hours now, absolutely nobody is doing that other than forest preschools. But you want guaranteed outside time. Many jurisdictions have the amount of time a child is legally required to be outside embedded in their care laws. So for instance, here in Ontario, a child who is in eight hours of care must be outside a minimum of two hours every day. That's written into the Child Care and Early Years Act. So go Google your local care laws it's the 21st century. They should be available online and readily available to read. So at minimum, you want them to be aware of and enforcing the local law to you. But if that law is under one hour for every four in care, or if they have no specified outdoor time, that's what you want to look for as a minimum. One hour outside for every four that they're in care. Minimum. Playing outside has so many developmental benefits. It's a perfectly balanced sensory environment. There are so many opportunities for imaginative play. Adults tend to be less involved in outdoor play, so there's more child-led play. There's opportunities for the illusion of risk and the illusion of privacy. All of these things are vital for our child's optimal development. So you want to make sure that your child is going to get those opportunities. If you live in a climate that's extreme, like Canada in the winter or like Texas in the summer, you want written guidelines for what constitutes extreme weather and what the alternative to going outside is under those conditions. Another thing to look for is how much the children are expected to sit and for how long. Circle time or meetings as they're often called now should be no more than five minutes for a child up to four years old, 10 minutes for five and six year olds. Anything longer than that is extremely developmentally inappropriate. It's setting them up for failure. And you would be floored how many of these care situations that I have been in where they're expecting kids to sit for 45 minute circle times. Another good indicator of this is how the room is set up. Are chairs and tables the center of the classroom design or is it mostly open space for play? Are tables and chairs at the center of the classroom design, that likely means that they expect the children to spend a significant amount of time sitting and doing tabletop activities, which is just developmentally inappropriate for early childhood. There should be a rest space that provides the illusion of isolation. Being in care all day is exhausting, and we want there to be provisions for children who need a break from peopling. This can be a quiet corner, a tent, those big wood cubes that have like a circle cut out of the sides, those seem to be popular, 
large foam blocks to build a fort. It doesn't have to be permanent, but it has to be available. In my experience, settings that don't have an available space for the illusion of isolation have way more behavior challenges in the classroom than ones that do. That ability to be on your own or feel like you're on your own is often vital for children who are feeling hyper aroused or unsafe for whatever reason. So having it available is a sign that the educators are aware that some kids need space sometimes. Something else to consider is the art on display. Does it look like small adults did it? If so, either the children in this center are all fine arts prodigies or the adults actually did it. <laughs> we want art that looks like toddlers did it, even if that means it doesn't look anything at all. For toddlers and preschoolers, art is about the process, not the product. You want them to explore the materials and create from their imagination. It's the best fine motor practice there is. It allows them opportunities to practice representation, which is the first step in learning to write letters. It's an emotional control practice space too, because expressing yourself with colors and textures is a way of communicating how you feel. When children are forced to replicate crafts that adults have done, we remove all of those benefits. So look at the art that's displayed. Does it all look the same? Run. If it all looks wildly different and borderline indistinguishable, that's a good sign. And finally, ask about their definition of inclusion. Next week, we're going to go more in depth on this, but for now, ask them if they are inclusive of children of all abilities, identities, races, and ethnicities. Ask for examples of how they meaningfully include these children in the program. If they don't have an answer for you, run. Inclusion isn't just important for the children who are being included, for the different kids. It's important for all kids because the inclusion or exclusion of children from any given program sends powerful messages to the children participating about how we interact with people who are different from us. If your prospective center passed the emergent curriculum test but not the inclusion test, something is very wrong because the curriculum should be built to suit the students in the class. So if you have a class with an autistic child in the program, the curriculum and how the class runs should be altered to reflect the needs of the autistic children. And it should be altered for all the children. Otherwise, it's just integration. They allow different kids to enroll, but they aren't making any adjustments to ensure that the child is able to actually participate in the program. And that's contemptuous. If we're going to raise a generation of children who are accepting of others who aren't perpetuating racism, ableism, misogyny, classism, homophobia, transphobia, etc., we need to ensure that the children in the classroom are being celebrated and included meaningfully as they are. And that means that the rules, the norms, the routine, everything is shaped by the children in the class now. And we'll expand more on this next week. <laughs> So those are my checkpoints for choosing a care situation. I know it's a big job and often a very frustrating one, but given that most childcare centers and preschools in North America are private businesses, the more parents ask these questions, share concerns when there aren't answers, and don't enroll their children in settings that don't meet these standards, the more change we're going to see. Our parents and their demands created these settings, and bless them, they did the best they could with what they had, 
but it's 40-ish years later now, and we have had more child development research done in that 40 years than we did in the 100 before that. So our demands are going to create more inclusive, child-centered, developmentally appropriate settings. We have that power as parents. If you need support in making a decision or you don't know how to interpret something a potential setting has given you, come join us in the Parenting Posse and we have over 10,000 parents who are more than willing to help you talk it through. The link for that is in the description. And if you're trying to decide about specific philosophies like Reggio Emilio or Montessori, go way, way back in the archive on the blog or the podcast. And we have episodes on each of these theorists and what their approaches entailed so you can make an informed decision about that. Thank you so much for joining me today. I will see you next week for another Uncommon Sense Parenting class. Bye. You've been listening to The Mudroom on Common Sense Parenting Classes with Alana Robinson. If you like what you just heard, remember to join us live every Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Facebook. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, share, and connect with us in the Parenting Posse Facebook group. This has been an Alana Robinson Family Services production.